This is Marketing Trends, your number one source for exclusive interviews with chief marketing officers and executive marketing leaders in the Fortune 1000 and beyond. This is Jeremy Bergeron, and I interview, collaborate, and partner with world-class CMOs and marketing leaders across industries. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Marketing Trends. This is your host, Jeremy Bergeron, as always. And this is an afternoon show. I've been looking forward to this one for a while, and I'll tell you why. The guest today I have in the virtual studio is a, I'm just going to say it, a complete baller, okay? Ashley Kramer, if you don't know, you will know by the end of this conversation, Ashley, Chief Marketing and Strategy Officer at GitLab. She has a extremely rich background in tech leadership, engineering, and she's known for transforming GitLab into a leading DevSecOps platform. Her Notable past roles, you may have known some of these brands, SciSense, Alteryx, Tableau, Amazon, Oracle, and NASA, if you've ever heard of them. Uh, she's got this really unique blend of technical expertise, strategic marketing, and leadership, clearly, with a bunch of high-profile tech companies, as you know. So, Ashley, thank you for being here. I'm excited to have you on the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. And if you don't mind... Um you know, traveling around the world with me to do that intro for all my <laughs> keynotes. I would just absolutely love that. Got it. I Fantastic. got it. I, Thank you. I will be the Ashley hype man. There's no <laughs> doubt, no doubt about it. And look, for me, it's like you took this unconventional path from computer science over to marketing and product. And, I, and I'm just curious about that aha moment because you, you certainly made a shift there and that was a big shift. And I imagine it might've been scary to walk away from all the coding knowledge into kind of marketing and product. What was that about? Yeah, I mean, I've been I've been lucky to have a lot of people in my life, whether it was just a person I talked to once or or mentors that I've had for many years in my career that have been honest with me. And and back when I was a developer, you know, I was a computer science major, so by trade, thought that meant I'm going to be a developer. Uh, it, it it took somebody telling me, "You don't seem very passionate about this," and they were right. It was actually in an interview, and I wasn't very passionate about it. And that probably meant I wasn't that good at it because that's what really drives me. And so for me, it was all about finding what am I passionate about? What does really excite me? And in the end, after many different steps, I love product. I love the messaging around it. I love the positioning. I love the competitive landscape. And that sort of naturally over the years fit me in perfectly. As a CMO at GitLab, I always, I always like to specify I don't know that you ever find me as a CMO at a MarTech company or at a sales tech company. I'm really uniquely positioned to be CMO at GitLab because we sell to developers, which I used to actually be. Since you have the technical you know, background, you've got technical product. And I mean, it's such an awesome trifecta because you can nerd out with the CTO, you can nerd out with you know product team and certainly the marketing and sales team. Do you find that being a blessing and a curse? Because you can go, you can actually go there deeply in those areas. Like, because to me, imagine like you have to still be, you know, leading and having the vision, but you also have an ability to kind of magnifying glass and go deep into some of these areas with other leaders that, you know, you can get into the code if you wanted, right? You can get into the product roadmap at a deep level. How do you kind of balance that? Because you can nerd out on all of it, or maybe you do, maybe you go deep into these things. Well, the word you're saying that that is sticking out to me is I can, I shouldn't, and all <laughs> okay. that, right? And, okay. and so this is where a partnership's really interesting too. So I had even in my interview process, a conversation with our chief product officer that like, 
I understand I've been a product officer before, but I, I don't want to. And he's like, great, because I can do messaging, <laughs> but I don't want to. Okay. Right. And so we have okay. these complimentary, but he knows now that when I call him and I'm like, Hey, can you tell me about this, you know, this bridge that we're building for AI? He understands it's just because I'm a nerd and I want to date. He understands it's not yeah. because like I'm questioning it. And so that it, having that sort of relationship underpin everything is really important. I try not to time. Time is always a factor. Um, you know, I, it's you Google one thing. Next thing you know, it's three hours later and you're, you're deep in the world of Kubernetes. So I, I try to stay <laughs> away from that, but it happens from time to time, but that's the can, but shouldn't always do it. I think is, is the approach that I take there. Got it. That's gotta be a balance. Cause I mean, again, it's like you, you have experience and perspective in those things and you, you've got the right left brain thing. It's like, you're deep in that. So I imagine as you develop and cultivate the ability to create space there, but also stay tapped in. Um, so very, super interesting. Um, let's shift it a little bit and talk about community engagement, right? Um, considering you've had some past advice for nurturing community, handling disagreements, can you elaborate on like a specific instance where community feedback significantly like influenced the marketing decision at GitLab? Yeah. So one that comes to mind, this predates me, but it's still talked about is, you know, part of part of our commitment to particularly open sourcing community was we won't use third party tracking mechanisms to understand, you know, for example, what you're doing in the product. And uh, prior to me being here, they did decide to to integrate a vendor um, that would do that for some some really clear reasons, you know, especially in trial experience, it's very helpful to know um, with data what people are clicking on, if they're inviting others, you know, some of some of those types of things. And so it's particularly the product-led growth motion, it's pretty important as part of that. But the community, I'll call it was outraged. You know, we're a transparent company, the issue's still out there because we we heard from them after we said we were going to do it. And we did actually, in that case, reverse the decision because of the concerns they had, which were valid concerns. And it's not saying in the future we don't look at something like that again and allow you to turn it off if you, you know, so it just needed to be thought through more. But we took the community in that case's feedback really seriously. And of course, yeah, that, that impacted some marketing motions because we didn't have that third party sort of tracking within the product. But also um, the community is is a is a big part of the wider community is a big part of what we do here. They contribute to our platform and they evangelize for us. And so yeah. um, we we always want to listen to and and try to respect the thoughts that they have. When it, when it comes to marketing to a technical audience, right? That comes with its own set of challenges. How does how does GitLab craft marketing messages that resonate with these highly technical users while also appealing to broader audience. Yeah, so it's 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 probably the biggest challenge here, right? Because who is going to be the ultimate buyer in most cases probably a CTO or a CISO or a mm-hmm. you know or, or at a larger company a VP of and so that's one way there's one way to reach them, bring them together with other other customers that are at their level, do some sort of roundtable, take them to events, give them things like surveys and white papers with productivity metrics. That part to me, it it actually costs more dollars, but it's easier because it's pretty easy to understand collectively what most CTOs care about. Now, where we have to be really careful and thoughtful is very often they'll be like, yeah, this all sounds good. I'm going to go ask my best developer or my best development team 
what they think of this GitLab product. Uh, and the last thing we want them to say is, well, we don't know who they are, right? Uh, I mean, even worse, we don't like it, but we actually right. don't hear that one. And so I actually have combined over the last year, I brought in a, a, a vice president of developer relations and community, and I've combined technical product marketing together under him because the community, the evangelism, the technical content, the hackathons we throw, the startup program that we have, all needs the same kind of content. They all care about the same things. And so we consolidated that together. And then of course we measure, we have, we have all kinds of different ways to track what's landing and what's not. But we we do have to sort of separate how we think about it via content and channels because those two groups care about much different things. Right. But they come together on the sale. They come together on the decision wow. quite often. What about ABM? You know, ABM 2023, such an interesting topic. Uh, it's fascinating to hear the various things happening with intent data and things like that. Are you seeing what are, what's working ABM wise uh, at, Get, at GitLab? And yeah, just what, what's your perspective on ABM? And Yeah, we've had the team partnering um, pretty closely with some of our sales leaders on, you know, there's different ways to think about ABM. One, The one-to-one which is like on the highly you know successful accounts, very hard to replicate and scale, the one-to-one type notion. One-to-many, where can we cohort customers that look or think alike and mm-hmm. go target that? And so it's an ever-evolving thing. I will say the biggest tick that we've seen on the ABM side was actually updating our MarTech platform, which is something our marketing ops team has been doing over actually the two years I've been here, but particularly this last year, mm-hmm. really bringing in some of the newer... It's probably not, they're not new companies, but the newer ways of implementing your marketing technology, gathering that intent to intent data, doing the lead scoring, all of those types of things. And so I think that's where I've seen, and we got optimiz- a lot of optimizations out of it as well, by the way, but I think it goes hand in hand thinking about how you can really move your ABM strategy forward. Do you have like innovative C-level initiatives where you're like focusing on the C-suite, these these CTOs and CIOs at these, you know, Fortune 1000s and beyond? What's working in that world? Do you have like a focus on this on the C-suite? We do, not not just the C-suite. Like I said at a giant company, you know, it might not be the CTO. You need it might be one of the departments, head mm-hmm. of engineering that brings you in first. But the new lever that we've seen over the last year, we're now DevSecOps. Security, not only being a secure platform, but having security integrated as part of our platform has become really important. So enter the CISO. And so Mm -hmm. um, first and foremost, we hired one this year, which is awesome. So we brought Josh in. So now we have a CISO at our company who can actually help me understand what do CISOs pay attention to? Mm. I I actually use that interview process to talk to many and I I made it kind of an information gathering session for me too. Is They're like, yeah, we're not going to read the white papers. Please don't do anything on LinkedIn. It's a mess. (laughs) And by the way, somehow I got on some kind of list where they think I'm the CISO. So I get all of Josh's. uh, It's it's crazy how many he gets. He, He and I like to joke about it. But really what they like and what he told me was, they like to meet with their peers, you know, so they'll go to things. Salesforce does this really well where they just get CISOs together, whether it's 10 or 20. And then they, they don't necessarily want a sales pitch. They don't want to talk about how GitLab can change things. They want to hear about giant challenges. And if GitLab's hosting it, then, you know, they'll dig in a little bit more on how GitLab can help that. So it's, it's, in, it's role by role that you really have to think about it. Mm. 
but it's something that that's the new lever we've seen this year is the CISO is highly sought after from all kinds of different technology companies, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. Trying to get the attention um, of them and get them to buy in as part of our platform positioning and what we can do for them has been really important. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I love it. And it's clear that like you certainly thrive on these high growth, big challenges. Um, you, you've really carved out this spot of, you know, company IPOs, you jump in and like, look at the definition of scale, who we got, Ashley Kramer, let's scale. Okay. Have you ever been tempted to say yes to an earlier stage startup role? I mean, because I could see how that scrappy environment might maybe re-energize you a little bit, but do you, but I'm also sure you crave the stability and things, but does that ever get into the radar? It comes in and out. I mean, I advise those companies, so I'm fortunate to have that opportunity. I'm on the board of one of those companies, a Series C company, so I can stretch and flex that muscle there. But also when it comes to my full-time operational role, as you mentioned, I this is the third company that I started literally months after IPO. And to me, it's it's always not a cut and paste, but boy, the lessons you learn, mostly what you did wrong. And the things that you know are just going to happen. We're in the teenage phase, right? We, we went mm. through IPO and now we're like teenagers about to go off to college and be a billion dollar company. And to me, a lot of it is, I've seen it before. I've seen the movie before. And I think that helps one understand how to scale across the business um, and get ready for what's next because I've seen it. But two, give people this sense of like, this is okay. That, that We're not the only company that's having this challenge or sees this opportunity. And so for me, it's been good. Having said that, this is my third run at it. Maybe early, early someday down the road, it happens to fall into place. Wow. So take us into just kind of your assessment of, you know, it's post-IPO. You have a strong technical background, strong product background, obviously strong marketing and growth background. What's the tools you start to pull out when you're coming? It's post-IPO. Like you said, it's a big, it's a, it's a big time in the company, a lot of eyes. What's your approach in those early days? What do you do you kind of follow the same thread and start looking at team or strategy or resource? Like take us into the early days of you coming on board. What's your approach there to growth? Like, are you really quiet and observant early on? Do you jump right in and start pulling out things and start changing things? Like take us into that process. So the past me, I think could probably be called the wrecking ball approach. (laughs) Coming in and saying, I've seen this before, I've done it, blah, blah, blah. I took a completely different approach in this role and went on that 90 plus day listening tour. Listening not just to my direct leaders, but not just to partnering org leaders, but did touch, we call them coffee chats at GitLab, touch bases with just ICs throughout the org, people in sales, people in product, obviously my fellow e-group members had a perspective and really tried to absorb it, tried to get the customer perspective because even though it's a DevSecOps company and I'm the marketing leader, there's a lot of power and value in listening to customers. How do they talk about your platform? What more are they looking for? Are they confused about? Because that's on us to fix, of course, in coordination with product. Yeah. That, I, well, when you said, when you said not the 90 day, you know, kind of observation that reminds me of Marissa, Marissa Meyer, who came on our show a couple of years back. And when she joined Yahoo, there was, there was some rumblings of like, what is she doing? She's not doing anything. Like she just got here. And it was that same thing. Like she took the approach of, of, of listening and being curious and then, you know, shifting from that and, and executives, some do that and some don't do that. Right. Some come in with the strategy, like you said, wrecking ball, change everything. It's gotta be new. And some come in with a different approach and it's, it is what it is. So was curious about that. 
I think taking the slower approach actually helps you earn trust. It's mm. not that, you know, this isn't the same company as those other two that I worked at that were at the same similar stage. And so I think it's just the more thoughtful way to come in and learn the company, learn the business, understand the culture, understand what's needed, because otherwise you're trying to enforce a playbook and a culture and other things that you learned at another company on a completely different company. So I do think it's the best way for a leader to build trust. You're coming into an existing culture that has, that's has that been established, but you're also coming in as typically the person that shapes the culture of a business as well. So you're coming in from the outside, you're coming in to drive growth and drive strategy, and you also kind of have to fit in a little bit and find the dance and find the connection. But what is that like? Because you're also a champion of the culture internally and externally with the customer and all the things. Like, How do you dance with the existing culture, but then also bring the change that's necessary? Because obviously you wouldn't be brought on if there wasn't still change needed to be brought on. How do you do that? Yeah, I mean, I think it's whether it's with my peers or whether it's with my team or our partnering orgs, it's really about building those relationships from the beginning. So making sure, you know, when I call a sales leader and I'm asking questions about a customer account, he or she knows I'm genuinely learning. I'm not calling to question. I'm not calling calling because I don't, you know, agree. And you don't have that in call one or call two. You have to mm. build, you have to spend that time together. You have to build that relationship. And so for me, I think that's the approach that's that I'll take for the rest of my career because I think it's it's the right one to take and the most successful is understanding from their perspective, sure, we have values. They're great, very solid, transparent values at GitLab, but how are they interpreted by different people? How do engineers interpret those? How does the sales team marketing and then really trying to fit in? And then you, you make small moves. You, you, you change this and communicate it and get the feedback. Um, And in the end, you know, it took me about a year, but the org was in the place that I needed it, the culture maintained, but maybe pivoted a little bit, you know, a little bit more in a direction that I was looking for it to go. And when I say culture within the marketing organization, while holding true to what we believe in as far as values as a company. What about the relationship between sales and marketing and the time spent in there? Obviously, it's an age old, it's an age old dance between marketing and sales. And we talk about it a lot, certainly on the show. You know, how, how, what's that, what's that like? How much time are you spending there listening, making suggestions, building, you know, trust and relationship with executives in charge of sales? How do you approach that sales marketing kind of collaboration? To me, it's the most critical relationship in business. I'd say a, a close second um, is the engineering leader and the product leader, so CTO and CPO. But to me, the CRO and the CMO have to be in lockstep, have to have that relationship, have to understand how to row in the same direction, move forward together, listen to each other and and provide feedback in a way that, you know, I know when Chris, our CRO who joined us um, this past summer is fantastic. I know when he calls me with an idea on messaging, it's not that he's questioning it. It's that he had a really great idea when he was talking to a customer. And he knows when I call him, I'm an exec sponsor on a lot of the accounts. When I call him and say, hey, I was at this customer and I wonder if we can try this, that it's, I'm not being critical. We're partners and we're trying to figure this out together. We're, we're selling software together or we're losing. Mm-hmm. How much time do you, this is something I've, I've never asked and I'm just curious about this, but the CRO and the CMO relationship, how much time do you allow things to kind of transpire in, your, in terms of like, 
waiting to see the results and waiting to see the score before it's like, hey, wait, this isn't working, right? How, is it an ongoing dialogue no matter what's happening between the two, the sales and marketing teams? Is it, okay, here's our play. We're aligned with the goal. Break. I'm going to go do me. Now, 30, 60, 90 days, let's talk again. How do you balance that? Like when to get back into that conversation if stuff's not going well or vice versa? How do you kind of dabble there? I think it's dependent on what you're talking about. So one thing that, you know, we really evolved um, since the summer, since Chris has been here, since AI has really become in the forefront is our pitch, you know, how we're enabling the sales team to go out and talk about not just our DevSecOps platform, but how AI is woven throughout. And so in something like that, you know, we tweaked it, we iterated, then we certified the team. Now we're waiting to see. You can't keep changing that because they'll never understand the messaging. We'll never know if it's sticking or landing. So in something like that, it's more of a let's wait and see the results. On some other things that we run together, on some other things like promos, you know, for our SMB segment, we'll see the signals more immediately and we okay. can decide more immediately. So to me, it's a matter of which program, which campaign, which initiative you're talking about as to whether you're touching base constantly on that and saying, nope, you know, everybody, abort mission, we got to go to the next or something that you need to, it's like a rebrand. You never want to rebrand and then rebrand again. Like you want uh -huh. to rebrand and give right. it some time. Right. I was just talking to the CMO of Grammarly about this at a dinner last week. Got to give it time to bake. And then you got to give it time to evolve and, and then you can make minor tweaks. Can you give an example of something of a, a, a collab between you and the CRO where there needed to be a change or a shift and the result of that? Yeah. So, I mean, we're trying to decide going into next year, the right split. So I run the sales development organization. So uh, everybody that does the inbound, outbound gets in. I mean, sales at this company owns their own pipeline, but they rely heavily on sales development, demand gen, all yes, of that, depending on the segment. Yes. And so one thing I've been noodling on since I started almost two years ago is the faster path to success and growth is within current customer accounts. But my team is largely targeted on net new logos, new. net new prospects. And so that's something Chris and I have worked really, really closely on. Of course, you'll get the data and the models, but we also have the experience of how it's worked at other companies and we have our great leaders that have perspectives. So that's one pretty clear example where we will change going into next year our percent split on what first touch means. Is it, mm. are we splitting it to be this many net new 50-50 versus 80-20? Uh, those are just some examples I'm throwing out we have not necessarily decided on yet because the faster path to the success is a customer has already implemented GitLab seeing success and we have all these growth levers and all these expansion levers. How can marketing help more in those as well? Speaking of growth levers, like what's what's something you have implemented in this first year and change of coming on? Like what tell us about some of your favorite kind of wins of like this wasn't happening, now we're doing it. This is what happened as a result. So the very first one was actually um I, I just said don't rebrand a rebrand, and that's exactly what I did. Um so, so there's so there's a there's a moment of reflection. So when I came into the company, they were starting a rebrand and you know, the team had worked really hard on it. It was great work and we kept a lot of it. But the one thing that I kept hearing from the sales leaders was we were still calling ourselves a DevOps platform, a DevOps, DevOps. But where we really stand out and differentiate one of the one of the areas is security. And so it was actually our VP of public sector that called me pretty early on after that rebrand. And he said, we really should think about DevSecOps. And what's awesome now is, so we did that rebrand and now we're the most comprehensive AI powered DevSecOps platform with the tagline underneath software faster. Can't get more simple than that. And now I'm hearing everyone from customers 
to industry analysts repeat it back to us. And so so that's that's an example of where it's not necessarily a growth lever, but it opened up sort of the brand awareness of, oh, they're they're part of the security game too. Mm. And so we really need to lean into that. We really need to check out this GitLab thing when we're trying to figure out how to deliver our secure software faster. Was the DevSecOps, was that term already, was that something that you, that was created or was it already an industry term? Because I had not heard DevSecOps till GitLab. The industry term is DevOps still. Right. And I would DevOps. argue that we pioneered that too back in the day, like okay. long history back okay. in 2011, we had SCM, which is, you know, source control management. And when we decided, um, and I I say we, but I wasn't part of this to integrate uh, continuous integration as part of that, they decided to build it as part of the platform instead of a separate tool because everybody else had marketplaces and separate tools. Uh. So back 2011, 2012, we already started this platform journey. It was very DevOps back then, but we've had security integrated for a really long time now. And so I will um, go out on a limb and say, well, we were hearing from, you know, some particularly PubSec customers and some investors, DevSecOps. Mm -hmm. I would say we definitely, GitLab definitely pioneered the whole DevSecOps platform. You will now see a lot of other uh, companies Mm. using it, which makes my team sort of angry. I think it's great. We did that I, first. Yeah. Imitation. Yeah. yeah. Best form flattery. of flattery. That's right. So, no, let, so then what's next? What I asked them is what's next. So I think it's great. What do you, because, I, you know, again, like you're, this is, you're the scale person, right? This is, you're the person we tap in. We're trying to scale. We just went public. Let's go. Let's go faster. All eyes on us. What are some of these metrics that you prioritize, you know, now? Okay. Now you're in the, you're in the seat, you're leading marketing and growth and strategy, what are some of these benchmarks? You're like, okay, this is the first mountain we're going to climb. This is the metric I'm paying attention to most or the metrics I'm paying attention to. What's the mindset there? Yeah, I mean, holistically, because I have the core marketing plus the sales development org, the number one metric, and I just told you we'll evolve this next year on the split that I look at is, uh, we call it FOSAO, first order sales accepted opportunities. And what that tells me is out of everything we're doing, all the campaigns, all the inbound, outbound efforts we're doing, how many of the the calls we're making, the emails, emails we're sending, the follow-ups we're doing from events are actually turning into something that the sales team thinks is an acceptable opportunity. And so for me, that that tells me the quality, right? But also we are targeted on numbers. That's That's how sales development just happens to work. And so that's the number one I look at, but I don't like to over, I don't like to pivot too much to that because it's that that to me is more of a transactional way of looking at it. The mm. second one that I really look at is influenced pipe. So out of okay. all the pipeline that we've built, how many, and it took us a while to get the right attribution model and the right data, and it's never going to be perfect ever right. in any right. organization. Right. Never right. going to be perfect. <laughs> but just knowing are the things we're doing providing the right amount of value. And that's not always just turning in, you know, a prospect into an accepted opportunity by sales. Sometimes it's we highly influence this because they came to that event we threw because we know that they signed up to read the Gartner report. And so from that perspective, that's the one I also watch really, really closely at a high level. The sales development piece that they now roll up to you, I've run across this a few times, not not a ton, but there have been a few marketing leaders where the, the sales development folks are now rolling up to you. Was that, is that new for you or you had done that previously? That was a decision that was made prior to me starting. It was in rebuild mode when I started. I will not take any credit. I will give uh, JB, my leader who runs that, all the credit. I think this model makes the most sense. Uh-huh. In 
really reality when you think about it, marketing typically does all of these things and then throws it over to the fence to sales, right? right? right and then right. they look at it and they throw it back over. So what I see is sales development as a bridge. Right. They're in all of my leadership meetings. They're very close with their sales counterparts because they have to know. So I see them, instead of throwing over the fence now, I see this bridge. I see our CRO, of course, leaning into exactly what I say is the partnership is really critical with both sales and marketing. So I like it where it is and it it allows Chris to focus on our enterprise sales motions and sort of Mm -hmm. executive sponsorship and some of the bigger things that take a lot of time. And we can we can figure out what's working and what's not together within marketing with sales development. Mm. How tight is the executive leadership team there? Like how what's the culture like amongst the execs, the the leaders of the of the brand? I think we have a great partnership across all of eGroup. I, I don't want to speak individually for each of them, but we're on this mission together to solve, particularly at this this year. It's been AI and how to make sure not just from a messaging perspective, but from a platform capability perspective. And so it's initiatives like this. Also, right before I joined, they IPO'd together. What better time to unite right. and make sure you're in, you know, going in the same direction. Everybody has their own tasks in their within their org, but it's all for one main company goal. And so, you know, I like to call it sort of the speed dial relationship. So if mm. David, our chief product officer, has some feedback for me about something at a marketing event or has a question for me about something in product, like don't go through an assistant and try to find time on account, like text me, call me. Okay. And, and I think that's, that's what you do. You know, if I, if I wanted to ask my friend something, I wouldn't like go to her assistant and say, Hey, can we set some time aside? I, I, mm. I want to talk to her, like build that kind of relationship and pick up the phone and solve together. And then you you become less corporate and more of, of a really sort of well-oiled machine and good team. Mm-hmm. You, you definitely seem to have a lot of wisdom when it comes to integrating cultures after big acquisitions. What's, what's like a counterintuitive or like the most surprising lesson you've learned about making mergers work, right? I feel like you probably could write a book on this stuff. Oh, boy, yeah, I had a lot, not necessarily at GitLab, but at a previous company. In my time there, we acquired, I think, six companies. Wow. Um, four of them were for IP. One was for a, it was a partner for a sales team. And um, the other one was was purely for the people because they were cloud developers. And so they had the talent. And what nobody really often sees if they haven't done a lot of these is even if you're just like a 2000 person company, which like I don't see as a giant company, I see Amazon as a giant company because I've worked at both. <laughs> yeah. Um, but when you go acquire this like 25 person team, they're going to work for corporate America. Like they're mm-hmm. going to work for a giant mm-hmm. company. And so they need a different level of sort of attention and to still feel empowered and to not feel like, okay, well, I used to be the founder CTO and now I'm a director of engineering. And so there was one company in specific, um, a company called Y Hat that we acquired at a former company. I spent a lot of time with those founders just deeply understanding so we could do the next one better, you know, because there's always like the systems perspective and blah, blah, blah. The cultural aspect is the much harder one. And in that case, I actually got probably five of the team members, only a 12 person team, to actually move to where that was back in office culture days, our office was in Colorado. And that actually was really helpful too, to Mm. like have them really integrated as part of the experience. 
Um, it also helped that houses were much cheaper in uh, Colorado than New York. But um, so lifestyle change for them. But yeah, I think it's really about understanding that these people think that they just got acquired by like a giant, giant company and helping them understand the opportunity, what they can learn if they really buy into, you know, not just taking their two-year earnout and running away, but really buy into mm. what they can learn, what they can contribute and the impact they can have on, on a company. Wow. So cool. Yeah. The lessons, I'm sure it's like invaluable to do. And then to do it that many times, you're going to see so many different angles. With your ambition and drive, I imagine that it's tough, Ashley, to avoid stagnation. Um, <laughs> how how do you keep challenging yourself to just grow outside your comfort zone? Like, what's something you you might still find scary, intimidating, and how do you yeah how do you ch- still challenge yourself? I mean, at a company like GitLab, trying to understand all of the deep nuances of the technology is a constant challenge, and and I have to be careful because I can get myself in trouble if I if I learn way too much about the large language models that we're leveraging for the different use cases. Then I go do podcasts like this and start <laughs> saying wrong things, right? I I can I can get into trouble. So I try to keep a balance where I feel I never like to go into any kind of conversation and feel not confident. I, I know how to talk the circle if you don't know the answer. Uh-huh. Um, and typically people know when they're talking to me, like we're not going to get deep into the code base, right? Right, but right. That for me will be a forever challenge just because I'm not an engineer anymore. And, you know, some of it, there's all this new technology and my head's kind of like been trying to stay on top of it. But that's the challenge I like to give myself um, just because it's it's really fascinating what you can learn and then how you can actually turn that into different messages depending on who you're talking to. What are you learning about right now? What's like, what are you nerding out on right now? It is all the aspects of prompt engineering Mm -hmm. and uh, Mm -hmm. large language models. And so... I have a pretty good grasp, I'd say level 200 on it, but then I'll watch, you know, our chief product officer go and do some of his talks. And I'm like, I don't know anything. This is, (laughs) that's why we have him by the way. Right. right. But it's, it's just fascinating um, for, for me to continue. I feel like we're we're never going to stop learning when it comes to this AI, hopefully the hype is over, but AI initiative, because it's constantly changing. Right. I was in, I was in DC about a month ago and it was the week before the AI executive order came out. Mm. And we have a federal advisory board, um, that, you know, that was, I was fortunate enough to meet with that had some insight. Lots of them had, have worked on the Hill and had some insight in what's coming out. And so that alone is a new learning experience. Will we have to do anything differently, particularly in PubSec because of that order coming out. And so I just think that's a constant learning exercise. GitLab sits at this intersection of, of some really fascinating tech trends. Obviously, let's get into AI automation and, and DevSecOps. What potential do you see in leveraging AI to drive improvements in software development lifecycle? I mean, I think it can almost change everything about software delivery if you think about it. Mm. If you think about it, don't think about it as one specific feature. Everybody is caught up right now in this code creation, code suggestion world. Right. Because yep. that was one of the first things after ChatGPT to come on the forefront. But if you imagine if every developer in the world is using something to help them write code faster, it's not necessarily more secure. It's not necessarily properly tested. Mm-hmm. It's not necessarily mm-hmm. integrating with the other code. Mm-hmm. And so GitLab's unique position and perspective since we've always been a platform is let's help in every step of the software development lifecycle and get delivery out in a secure way and faster because we're infusing 
AI throughout versus just saying, all right, developers, here's here's a fun AI capability that will help you get a massive amount of code out quicker. That's that's not going to solve anything that can actually cause more problems if you don't have vulnerability checking, if you don't have ways to get new developers up to speed on the massive amounts of code, and of course, delivery out faster. What are kind of some interesting use cases that are kind of blowing your mind or what you see coming down the pipe? This one was super interesting. This one, our chief product officer just used today, he was talking to a customer and you know, companies that have been around for a while have this thing of legacy code bases. Uh, I talk to government customers about it a lot. We want to get out of this language. It's like nobody knows it anymore. I can't even hire developers. It's not the the best, most robust language to use for our use cases. So he was explaining how we're working on capabilities to highlight code and have it explained and have it refactored into a modern language. To me, the the just the massive amount of of industries, especially highly regulated that we sell to banks, government that, Mm -hmm. that have that challenge. If we can go in there and help them solve it quickly, to me, that is like, that's company changing. Like that's, that's absolutely fascinating. And so that's top of mind just because he talked to me about it today. And I think that solves a lot of, we, we, we tend to build technology sometimes in software for like the new hip, cool companies, right? Mm-hmm. The data science companies. But this is that there's also banks that have been around for many, many years. And there's also government, which we like in, in all of the different areas of the world that also need help modernizing, not necessarily being on the cutting edge all the time. Mm. Are you using any kind of AI chat GPT, Claude, like in your day to day, like as an executive, like do you use these tools in your day to day? So chat GPT is, is not allowed at our company because okay. it, it shares information. Um, we don't use it as part of our platform either. Um, from the GitLab platform perspective, and I, I have been trying to use this, I do use some of our beta experiences. Like we have a, a chat, uh, it's called Duo Chat, where you can go in and do some of the things that I just said. So we use issues, which are basically um, the project overview, the specs, the requirements. And we use that across all of GitLab, not just in engineering. And so often somebody will send me one and it's like 40 pages because it's been, you know, it's been something that's been planning for a long time. So I'll use something like chat to ask, hey, can you summarize this issue for me? Mm-hmm. Something that would have taken me 30 minutes to come up to speed on. It's giving me, you know, a, a succinct five bullet points that I, of course then can go dig into. So I absolutely, I don't use the fun like, hey, write a poem for me um, in my everyday, mm-hmm. which I know is a, is a common use case for a lot of people. <laughs> Tell yeah. me what to write in my husband's holiday card. But right. Um, I am using it to try to see if I can gain more productivity um, within my within my day to day. Can you talk about the CSO and you know your you know because your your title is not just CMO, it's also CSO. What's the CSO about? And yeah, I'm curious about that. Yeah, so when I was um, coming to join the company, one of the things that Sid, our CEO, and I were were talking through was my love of speaking with customers, and that's been super easy when I was product officer. At one job, I was product and marketing officer, uh, engineering leader at technical companies. I wasn't. I was. I was having trouble wrapping my head around like how I was going to get in front of customers as a chief marketing officer at a DevOps company. And so the the good news is, at a former role, the same company that acquired six companies that I referenced, where I was running product and part of engineering, 
I actually was the executive buyer of GitLab. So I've actually been a former customer. And so, and I saw actually the transformation. We bought it because of um, builds failing. I won't say, I won't put down the, the vendor that we were using at the time and quality issues. And so we brought it in in a small pocket, then expanded. They're still a customer today. And I'm the executive sponsor on that account. And so I saw firsthand. And so what I do as strategy officer is I'm able to go out and talk to customers about my experience, but also hear from them, not just where they are today. We can all do that as an executive group, where they want to go and make sure from a messaging perspective, positioning, sharing that with our product officer, of course, that we're aligning to what these customers are doing. And, and it's a blessing and a curse because I am on the road probably 80 to 85% of the time yeah, at this point. Yeah. But nothing more powerful than really directly connecting with customers to understand my ultimate goal, which is, is our messaging landing? That That's my number one goal. Is our messaging landing? Um, do we have the awareness we need? Do they understand properly what we do and what can we change to make that more clear and easier on the sales team to sell. It's a lot of customer travel. Is that a lot of it is you speaking with customers? It's lots of customer travel and it's lots of, you mentioned Marissa um, earlier, she and I did a talk together um, at a fortune conference in Park City this summer. And so, you know, some of it is, is company facing um, podcasts and sure. and different things. And then um, a lot of it is customers. And I, I try to tie them together. So if I'm going to be in Australia, my press team goes nuts trying to get me media opportunities. But my goal of being there is as many customers as possible. So you can do both at once. Awesome. And here we are again, top of the hour. I'm like, this is this is the time where I'm like, we need another hour. I'm just Actually, getting started. We're we just getting started. <laughs> um, take us, kind of take us future here. What's your vision for like where GitLab's marketing org needs to evolve in the next few years? Like what missing pieces do you still think you need to feel to fill in to keep accelerating growth? Yeah, from my perspective, uh, I believe that the team we have in place is is a world-class marketing team. And now what we need to do is make sure we're one team, not just with each other. And I think we're doing a great job of that. I was just showing them some of the successes over the year. And it's really cool to see it's not the PR team, the press team did this and product marketing did this. It's really group-wide efforts. Now I want to make sure that we continue to be one team with sales, one team with product and have this constant kind of loop and the win together attitude. And we're there in most cases but it can always continue to evolve. The second area that I keep telling them is we deeply understand the value of AI. We're building it all throughout our platform that we sell. How are you all going to use AI in a safe and responsible way, not to eliminate your job, but to to allow you to, to really automate the mundane out of your life, to really allow the things that your brain power probably shouldn't need to be spending time on. Let AI do the first step of that and then bring you in as the human subject matter expert. And I think we're just scratching the surface on that. Mm, I love it. Okay. Well, are you ready for some fun lightning round questions to take us home? Let's do it. Let's do it. Okay. I encourage you to answer quick and don't think too much about these like <laughs> gut answer from the heart, from the gut. Um, first one is you've led marketing for many powerhouse tech brands. If you had to pick one product you've worked on as your proudest achievement, which one changed the trajectory of your career most? Tableau Online. Tableau. 
amazing company, amazing brand. Amazing opportunity I had there. It's, it was the highlight so of cool. my career. I love it. Um, w- with all those years leading high-powered teams, I have to ask, what's one quirky skill your marketing team doesn't know about you that would really surprise them? I try to use humor in any and every possible way, particularly in high-tension moments. Mm. And I don't think that they fully are on board with that yet. I think they think I'm just sort of quirky and have a dry sense of humor, but I use it more, I've found, when there's high tension times to sort of try to get everybody to be balanced. Is there a connection between a coach predicting you'd make VP one day? Is there is there a link there? So it was actually somebody that I was letting go from the company predicted that. Oh, um, yes, okay. somebody um, was hugging me on the way out that um, we had to separate ways and told me, you're going to be VP someday. And I laughed in her face <laughs> and said, I never want that. Oh my gosh, I never. They work so hard. Executives have the hardest job. And here I am not that many years later uh, as a CMO. So with, a, with such an unpredictable journey, if your college self met the CMO you are today, what do you think would blow her mind most? My college self was in computer science and would say, <laughs> how in the world are you a chief marketing officer? <laughs> and by the way, it probably would have been a lot better to get through college while also playing soccer if I would have had more of a business track. So yes, that's absolutely what the uh, old Dominion Ashley would say to I me got now. got it. Okay. Um, so many people struggle with work-life balance. What is one non-negotiable ritual habit or boundary you rely on? Any tips around that? Yeah, I mean, I, I really, when it's time to disconnect, whether it's, you know, at night, whether it's on a vacation, I try to, my team would actually tell you I don't do this, but I do a really good job of like when I need to be present in my personal life, making sure I am present in my personal life. So I I caught a lot of um, heat a few weeks ago. I was in Cabo for a friend's wedding and I was golfing. And so I was on Slack and blah, blah, blah. They're like, you're on vacation. I'm like, I'm, not kind of, I'm golfing. I'm not that good at it. I'm really out here because my husband's really good at it. So as he's like hitting pars left and right and birdies, like I'm on Slack. It's like, that's okay. That's not not having work-life balance. But when we went to dinner that night, everything off, you know, is mm. three, four hours of, of no distraction and being present. And so to me, balance means something different. It's not about work hours. It's not about if you're in Cabo or in San Francisco. It's about if you're present or not. Do you like turn it all off to like, what does it look like for you to just to think like where it's like, okay, I'm going to go, you know, hiking, walking, sit in a, a quiet room, you know, cold plunge, whatever it is. Like, is there a, a part of you that's like, okay, I need to just think and need to just kind of think about everything versus everything coming at you from product to team, to relationship, to all the things. Like, do you have something in place where you're like, no, I disconnect from that. Cause now I just need the next, I just need to think. So I'm turning off. I'm, is there something you do in that? So it's definitely not the cold plunge because I have done cryotherapy for years and all I can think about is how do I not freeze to death? So <laughs> right, it's definitely right. not that, but okay. it is, I'll say just one word, Peloton. So I have the treadmill, okay. I have the okay. bike, and that is that is my thinking time where I'm able to just put everything down. Run. There is an instructor yelling at me, but that's just how I work, you know, and there's music blasting, but that is my absolute best thinking time. And I try to every single day, in some way, get a run or a bike ride or something in. And that is, that's my meditation. That's how I clear my head. Mm, Okay. I love it. Okay. Last one. If you could use marketing to send a message to the whole world, you've got billboards around the world. 
What are you going to say? And coincidentally, we had the CMO for Clear Channel on this week, Dan Levy, talking about billboards all over the world. But what would be the marketing message or the message, just the message you would send to the world that's co-signed Ashley? This is so easy because it would be buy GitLab and then I could retire. <laughs> I love that. No one's ever done that. So no easy. Usually someone says like something really inspirational. Save or like, the look, world. Yeah, yeah sorry. Yes, Give everyone yes. a puppy. No, mine's buy GitLab. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. Well, look, right at the top of the hour, actually, this has been exceptional. Uh, you're one executive that I was really excited to connect with because again, so much perspective and you are engaged in this ride. You are fully enjoying where you're at and it's it's clear from Jump Street. So thank you for being a part of our show and our audience. And this was epic, epic time. And we're definitely rooting for you and the whole squad at GitLab. This is, this is gonna be a great adventure. Awesome, thanks for having me, appreciate it. Thank you for checking out another episode of Business Insights and Inspiration on Marketing Trends. If you liked what you heard and are interested in partnering with us to bring your brand to a growing audience of marketing experts, reach out to info at mission.org to get the conversation started.